If you got your Bibles, go to the book of Acts. The book of Acts, Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. We'll start at verse. Let's start at verse 37. Acts chapter 2, verse 37. <clears throat> Get it, let us pray. Father God, in the name of Jesus, God, we thank you for being God and just for being all that we need and allowing us just to know that. And the mercy that you've shown us, God, please don't let us take it for granted, but help us to ever be grateful, God. We thank you. Help us to learn. Help us to understand. Help us to live it in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Acts chapter 2, verse 37. This is the day of Pentecost when the promise of the Father was poured out on the disciples. And they <clears throat> praised God and testified the Spirit of God moving. And Peter gets up to preach the first sermon at the birth of the church. And after he got up to preach, this is where we picking up at in verse 37. It said, now when they heard this, the preaching of Peter, they were pricked in their hearts and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said unto them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost for the promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. And with many other words that he testify and exhort, saying, save yourselves from this untoward generation. Now, Peter gives the people a response, and this is what we're going to zone in on today. A pre Peter response to them after their heart was pricked, they was ready to receive Christ and understand well, how should they respond to the gospel. That's the question that they, sh they were asking. They heard his words, they heard about the Messiah, and they asked, how should we respond? What should we do? And Peter's response is they need to repent and be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And this creates questions because we've been talking about what we need to do in order to receive salvation. And we live in a culture, a post-reformation culture, where everybody knows and understands John 3.16. God so loved the world, and he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish, but shall have everlasting life or eternal life. And we understand that. And so we have been conditioned with this idea that belief undefined is all that it takes to enter into the kingdom of God. And I will say, if understood correctly, yes, you are right. There is no other thing needed for salvation on our behalf other than to believe. All we have to do is trust in the saving work of Jesus Christ and that is sufficient for us. But we talked about earlier how repentance is an expression of belief that you turn from trusting yourself, following your own ways, and you put all your hope and all your trust into God. That's a form of turning, that you turn away from your sins and that you live and seek to live a holy and righteous life. That's a form of faith. That's an expression of this faith and believing in God. So when Peter commands the people to repent, he is also requiring them to believe. Because you cannot be disobedient in living in faith at the same time. We talked about a couple of weeks ago. So this repentance, this cause towards repentance, is not putting the work in front of salvation. But it's putting a requirement that expresses what does it mean when you believe. 
If you're following your own ways and you have yet to turn and put your trust in Christ, you have not believed. And we also talked about how this calling upon the name of the Lord, or seeking God through prayer, that the continual pursuit, the continual outpouring of your heart, the longing for his mercy, those are expressions of faith. That as you more consistently you go to God, the more consistently you plead towards him, that shows that you trust him and that you believe in him and you see your dependence on him. So all of these are not works extra of salvation or extra of belief. These are all expressions of what true faith is. Are you understanding what I'm saying? And then it, it takes us to the rest of Peter's statement. He called, told them to repent and believe, I mean, be baptized, which creates a little controversy. And the question becomes, is baptism necessary for salvation? That's the question that generally asked once we see this. And we got whole denominational splits and, and, and people lost their lives basically on this question. There were people born at the state. And the reason that they were killed, and one of the main reasons that they were slaughtered is because of their belief in baptism. That seems to be odd and crazy to us. Like, why you kill somebody for wanting to be baptized? Because this, the controversy created a lot of questions. And what we're going to do is try to understand these questions, or understand what it is that we believe about baptism, and, and extend it. Beyond the, the, the regular conversation of is it necessary for salvation? Because in this idea, in this talk about baptism, I've learned that you got extremes. And you got this one group of people that has so mystified baptism and they added all these extra things to the rites that you cannot understand God apart from. And it, and it gets deep and, and it creates your identity and creates your culture. Matter of fact, that's how we got the confusion of that all them Christians were slaving all them people. That's where the confusion comes from. Because in like 300s or so, Christianity became Christendom. And what that was is including your belief in Christ in your citizenship in the kingdom. That's what the term Christendom means. The kingdom of Christ. And what happened is where you were born place you into a certain piece of the church and so baptism was necessary because it became your citizenship so when your children were born they had to be baptized because that made them citizens of christendom of the kingdom of christ and as churches begin to grow and as they begin to split regions created what you was if you were born in scotland or somewhere you were a protestant we don't care what your mom and them claim or what anything because this is the kingdom that we live in. And that became synonymous with the expressions of those people. So because you were born into a certain nation, because you were born under a certain kingship, that crowned you as a Christian. And that's why, like, if you read some of the old literature and the people, and you read something like the missionary journeys or the first encounters of the people who was doing voyages over here in the West, when they talked about the Spaniards coming, they didn't say Spaniards. They said the Christians came and talked because there was an equivalence that went into being a part of this kingdom. So your baptism crowned you with all this glory and it connected you with this family. And people, like I said, we understand that that's a bit deep. Like, hold up now. Baptism don't have that type of power. And so what we do is swing the pendulum all the way the other way. 
to where it don't mean nothing. You know what I'm saying it just it just something you do. You want to, you can. If you don't, you don't want you have to. Cause it it just you know I'm saying some church folk do. And I think the truth is somewhere in between. That it doesn't have this magical power to do all the things that these folks say to crown you with the glory of God and make you a child of God forever in the kingdom of God. It doesn't do that. But it also ain't just some trite thing that God just, I'm saying, it's cool if you want to, if you don't. I understand. So let's wrestle with it a little bit. And we're going to come back to this a couple of times because a couple of the points we want to make are going to be pulled from here. But go to Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1. And try to get an understanding of what, it, what is this baptism and what role does it play in our salvation. Mark chapter 1, verse 1, we're going to start at. Say, in the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in the prophets, Behold, I send my messenger before thy face, which shall prepare the way before thee. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his path straight. John did baptize in the wilderness. And preached the baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. There went out unto him all the land of Judea and they of Jerusalem and were all baptized of him in the river of Jordan, confessing their sins. So this is the start of the gospel according to Mark. When John steps on the scene. But the thing we want to point out is John's mission was to prepare the way for Christ. He said that's what he went out preaching. Repent. The kingdom of God is at hand. And in a part of his message of repentance, a part of his message for getting ready to see the kingdom of God, the son of God is on the way. He began to do this act of baptism. So that was connected to his message. And here it's referred to as the baptism of repentance. So their repentance in their baptism in the preaching of John was connected one in the same. That's what he referred to. The baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. So in John's understanding, what he was doing was preparing the people and bringing them to repentance and for bringing forgiveness of their sins through his act of baptism. That's what he preached. That this is baptism of repentance for the remission of your sins. So by you coming and stepping in this water, me dipping you and bringing you back up, you are repenting and you are receiving forgiveness of sins. This is the message that that John preached. And go to John chapter 1. Well, John chapter 3. John chapter 3. Chapter 3 verse 20, I think. Start at 22. John chapter 3 verse 22. So after these things came Jesus and his disciples into the land of Judea. And there he tarried with them and baptized. And John also was baptizing in Anon near to Salem because there was much water there and they came and were baptized. For John was not yet cast into prison. And then there arose a question between some of John's disciples and the Jews about purifying. And they came unto John and said unto him, Rabbi, he that was with thee beyond Jordan to whom thou bearest witness, behold, the same baptized and all men come unto him. And John answered and said, a man can receive nothing except it be given him from heaven. You yourself bear witness that I said unto you that I am not the Christ, but I am sent before him. And the, he that hath the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom which standeth and beareth him rejoice greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. This is my joy, therefore, is fulfilled. 
He must increase, but I must decrease. This is John's response. And the thing we want to pull out is what went on here. Jesus came into a region after he left and he'd been doing his preaching thing. And it says that he began to baptize. And John was in another region also baptizing. So the picture we see that got Jesus that's going on in the, in the kingdom is that John had this message of baptism for the repentance of sin. Jesus came, rose, and it began to take over John's ministry. The kingdom came. And when Jesus came, Jesus began doing what? Baptizing. So this was not just a John thing. And it was not just an arbitrary thing. Because when Jesus began his ministry, he began to do the same thing. Now go to John chapter 4. Let's add this little bit in. It said, when therefore the Lord knew how the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, Though Jesus is himself baptized not, but his disciples. He left Judea and departed again unto Galilee. I just wanted to add this little bit in. So Jesus' ministry, he was going out preaching the gospel, calling people to repentance. But in his message, in his ministry, Jesus was baptizing. But John 4 adds the note that it wasn't Jesus doing the baptizing. His disciples were doing it. But I just want you to see and understand that this was a part of Jesus' ministry. That he himself didn't seem it as something arbitrary or something extra or something Old Testament ritual like that it was a part of his call. It was a part of the thing that he went about doing once he began preaching himself. Go to Matthew chapter 3. Matthew chapter 3, we're going to start at verse 13. Said, so then cometh Jesus from Galilee to Jordan unto John to be baptized of him. But John forbade him, saying, I have need to be baptized of thee, and comest thou to me? And Jesus answering said unto him, Suffer it to be so now, for thus it becometh us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he suffered him. And Jesus, when he was baptized, went up straightway out of the water, and lo, the heavens were opened unto him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove, and lightning upon him. And lo, a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Now we see Jesus. Jesus did baptism, John did baptism, and now we see Jesus himself being baptized. This is a part of the Christian faith. It is a part of repentance. It is a part of our expression of faith to God. And Jesus adds a little weight to it. It ain't just something we do. It's not just an activity. John tried to prohibit Jesus from being baptized, which is understandable. It's like, hey, dude, you greater than me. You need to be baptized in me. And Jesus' response was it, no, I don't do that because we must fulfill all righteousness. We must fulfill all righteousness. He didn't say we must fulfill all the prophecies. He didn't say we must do everything concerning the Messiah so that I can truly be crowned as the son of God. He referred to it as fulfilling all righteousness. So in the mind of Christ, there's an expression of righteousness that is taking place once we are baptized. That seems to be a bit deep. He doesn't give us any details of how this is so or why it is so. But in his understanding of baptism is an expression of righteousness that he had to do as the son of God. So if the act of baptism, the ritual, the expression is so pertinent 
to the ministry of Messiah for his preparation in his own ministry and in his own life, I think it should be something that we take seriously. And it's something that we should understand that it must be done by all those who confess to be a part of the kingdom of God. That baptism is an expression of righteousness. It's an expression of our faith, expression of our repentance and our connection to God. That's something we are. And Jesus' reference to it as something that fulfills all of our righteousness should add a little weight to it. And if you actually pay attention to the story of redemption, and it's something we're going to do in the, in the year coming up. We're going to walk through the whole Bible. But in our walk, a little thing we're going to do is pick up on things. Anytime you read through our scriptures, there's, there's, there's thematic elements that flow from book to book. That as you read from each book, there's these, a couple of things that go throughout all of scripture that expounds our understanding of our connection and our relationship to God. And one of those things is the theme of water and washing. That God puts an emphasis on water in the rituals of washing in the story of redemption. And as we see, even beginning in the beginning, that once God caused life to come forth, he called it forth out of water. That he pulled the dry land out of water. And after the pulling of the dry land out of water, did life spring forth on the third day. That's a thematic element that we see going throughout the scripture. That he brings forth life, he raises it, and life springs forth on the third day. And it shows us some of those thematic elements. And as we keep going throughout the rest of scripture, we come to the, to, to the laws of God. And in the laws of God, the cleansing and the purifying in the book of Leviticus and Numbers, we see that all cleansing and all restoration back into the fold of God had the, the people had to go through a washing. If you had a scab in your skin that the priest saw to be something that was unclean, it was some type of virus or something, wingworm, whatever it may be, they separated you from the kingdom. And as you came and once the priest declared you to be clean, you had to go through a washing to be restored back into the fold of fellowship. Anytime you dealt with a dead body, that's something that made you unclean. In order for you to be restored back to the fold, there was a washing that took place. There was a cleansing that had to go forth. Every offering that was brought to be offered unto God had to be washed. It had to be immersed in water before it can be brought forth. And this is a theme and a picture that we see all throughout scripture that brings us to this point of Jesus declaring that these washings are him being baptized, him being dipped, is a fulfilling of all, all righteousness. And we're going to pick up on one of these things later, but let's get a, a slight understanding of what we mean when we talk about baptism. That's the Greek word is three basic Greek words. They're all variants of the same word, baptismal, baptizio. And the, the basic meaning of those words is to dip, to immerse, or to sink. That's the basic meaning of all those various words, to dip, to immerse, or to sink. So like the Titanic, it was baptized. <laughs> that's what it was because it sunk down into the water and it showed this this understanding alone gives us a picture of what baptism is supposed to look like or the biblical expression of baptism and if you notice when we were reading other expressions about what John was doing out 
in the baptism, or you can run it through, get your concordance, and just run, look up baptism, the baptize, and so on and so forth, and all the various times that the disciples did and that Jesus did, we see a couple of phrases, that they was baptized either into water or that they came up out of the water. He was either into, or they used the expressions, he came out of the water. When we talked about Jesus in, in Matthew 6, chapter 3, it says once he came out of the water, the spirit descended on him like a dove. And that gives us a picture of what was going on in these baptisms. So when you get the picture of it, it's something into or something coming out of. So that shows us that there was dipping that was going on when, when, when John was baptizing, his disciples were baptizing. Because it was straightway when they came out of the water, the spirit came upon them while they began to speak in tongues and prophesy. But is they're into and they're out of because baptism means immersion. Are y'all understanding what I'm saying? We got into and we got out of with the water. And with this understanding, it creates a couple of questions. Into, out of, with the water. And the question that we're going to come to is back in Acts chapter 2, verse 38. Acts 2, 38. Because if some people do some things, that's a slight bit different. And Peter raises the question just a little bit. Acts chapter 2, verse 38. And Peter said, Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remissions of sin. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost, for the promises unto you, into your children, and to all that are far off, even as many as many as are called, uh, as the Lord our God shall call. Now, Peter, in this picture, he gives an ex- expression, and he said, "The promise is unto you, and to your children." So, right here, Peter tells us that baptism, and the receiving of the promise, and the receiving of the Holy Ghost, is for us and our children. So does that mean that children should be baptized? It's a legitimate question. Because he said the promise is unto you and to your children. So should we include our children into our baptism? And to answer that, we're going to wrestle, look at a couple of things. Go back to Matthew, Matthew chapter 3. And we're just going to take the baptism or a couple examples of baptism to see can we get an understanding of that question. Matthew chapter 3 verse 6 we'll start at verse 5 said then went out to, unto him talking about John, Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region round about Jordan and they were baptized of him in Jordan confessing their sins. So this is the baptism of, of John out in Jordan when the people come to him. Say so they were baptized of him confessing their sins. So when John administered baptism, a part of what he was doing was baptizing the people and the people's response was what we see in there. They were confessing their sins. So connected with baptism is a confession of sins. In Acts chapter 2 verse 38, you got to go back there. When Peter talked about baptism, he told the people what they must do with their baptism. He said, repent and be baptized and you shall receive. John had them confessing. 
Peter is commanding them to repent. Should we baptize a person that cannot confess their sins or repent of their sins? Good question. Because if we follow and do what John did, we cannot. Because John had the people confessing their sins. It was a baptism of repentance. So confession, repentance was a part of his act of baptism. And when Peter steps on the scene, who was trained by Jesus to do the same thing, he commands the people to repent and be baptized. So in his mind, these acts go together. So he would only baptize those who did what? Repenting. Confessing. All of these are a part of our baptism, and if we cannot do these things, we're not qualified to be baptized. Go to Mark chapter 16. Mark chapter 16. Start at verse 16. Or 15, I'm sorry. Mark 16, 15. And he said unto them, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. And these signs shall follow them that believe. In my name shall they cast out devils, they shall speak with new tongues, they shall take up serpents, and if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. They shall lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. So this is Jesus' great commission. And in this, his call, he's sending his people out. It's a point we could have used earlier. That he told them to go into all the world, preach the gospel. So their commission was to go and to preach. That's what he told them to do. And in their going and in their preaching, he commanded them to baptize. So he sent the apostles out, go preach. As you go, y'all baptize. So in the mind of Jesus, this is a part of our evangelistic efforts to baptize people. And he says, those who believe it and is baptized shall be saved. They must believe and be baptized and they shall be saved. So the only people who we baptize are those who can confess their sins, repent of their sins, and believe. If you cannot confess your sins, repent of your sins, and believe the gospel, you are not a candidate for baptism. Are y'all understanding what I'm saying? So our baby's christening, although it might be cute, saying you take them up there, they sprinkle a little water on my little cute, make good little pictures, and they have pretty dresses for all that stuff. But that does not make them a citizen of the kingdom. And that does not legitimize their baptism. Even us, as we get older, saying you go down to the church and you go to uh, vacation Bible school and you go to one of them old school vacation Bible school where they, they feed you greens and cornbread and piece of fried chicken. <laughs> you ain't get no cup of juice. And at the end of the week, they make everybody get baptized. Saying they trick you into saying that prayer. Everybody just bow your heads and repeat after me. Like, hold up. And they tell you everything you say and you believe. And then they said tomorrow we're going to have a bouncing house and we're going to serve a hot dog. Everybody's going to have some fun. And we're going to baptize. And if y'all come out to have fun, you get baptized and you're going to go to heaven. And we'd be like, shoot, come, I'm just going up now. 
I, I know I want to go to heaven. And you get baptized. You don't know nothing. You don't believe nothing. You don't even know that you do wrong, let alone talking about repent from your sins. You said living your life. And then when you run into Brother Jay on the street and he talked to you about being a Christian, you're like, man, I already did that. I'm saying, I'm saying, I know I'm going to heaven. Like, what you know about Jesus? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> he was a good man. <laughs> That's not a valid baptism. Because the candidates for baptism must believe. They must be able to confess their sins. And they must repent of their sins. That's legitimate. But Jesus made this strange statement though. He said that he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. So is Jesus telling us that we got to be baptized to be saved? That's what it sounds like. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. So does my baptism really save me? And let's confuse it a little bit more. Go to First Peter. Because Peter was hanging out with Jesus. And he heard Jesus preaching. And he even baptized for Jesus. And Jesus thought he was slick too. He wouldn't baptize nobody. Because I know if I was around that time. And Jesus baptized me. I mean, man, you baptized ain't nothing. I got baptized by Jesus, dude. <laughs> He didn't want nobody to be able to brag. Jesus thought he was slick. <laughs> Go to First Peter chapter 3. Now we're going to get real confused for a second here. Let's start at verse 18. Keep from going back too far. Verse 18 says, For Christ also has suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit, by which also he went and preached unto the spirits in prison, which sometime were disobedient, when once the long-suffering of God waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was a-preparing, wherein few, that is, eight souls were saved by water. The like figure whereunto even baptism doth also now save us. Hold up, Peter. Did I read that right? Peter says in verse 21 that just like Noah and his children were saved by water, said the like figure whereunto even baptism doth also now save us. Now that don't sound right. That sounds like Peter messed up. And don't, don't that don't sound like Peter messed up? Like how are you going to talk about baptism save us? I'm saying we know that it's by faith alone, through grace alone, in Christ alone. That's the only way we receive salvation. It ain't got nothing to do with baptism. But Peter makes this statement that baptism doth now also save us. Just like it did Noah and his children. That's an amazing picture. And he equating what Noah went through to baptism. But let's finish reading the rest of the verse. Verse 21. Said the light figure whereunto even baptism doth now also save us, not the putting away of the filth of the flesh, but the answering of a good conscience towards God by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is on the right hand of God, angels and authorities and power being made subject to him. So Peter's picture is that salvation is wrought unto us through baptism, 
But he makes this caveat. It's not by the putting away of the filth of the flesh. And what he means by that is, once we go into the water, it is not the literal washing that we take that brings us to salvation. So just because you get in good water and you have white clothes on and you come out white and you clean, even if they put gain in the water, that washing is not what saves you. But he says it's the answering of a good conscience towards God. So the way Peter is understanding the expression of this baptism is that once we participate in the act of baptism, it's an expression or it's the answering of our good conscience. So we're going in consciousness towards God. That's the act of baptism and that's the thing that saves us. And that expression itself is an odd expression. The answering of a good question towards God. If you actually look up the Greek behind that word, the answering, you won't find it anywhere else in the New Testament. Peter, the only one that uses this word. But the only other place we find it is in classical Greek, and it means the question. It means the questioning. And even this expression of good conscience is somewhat confused. Because if we was to track the whole chapter, Peter uses this expression about three three times. He talks about how we endure suffering. So with a good conscience. That our consciousness not being defiled, that when people speak evil of us, they can't have nothing to say. So he flows this consciousness all the way down to this expression of baptism. And the picture that we gather from this is that when we participate in the act of baptism, we're doing it out of a response. And it's a quest towards God. And that is the thing that saves us. So when you hear that you can be cleansed, that you be dipped for the remission of your sins, that this thing can purify you, that it's the answer of a good conscience towards God. So in our act, our expression, what we're doing is we're seeking towards God. And it's that answer and that seeking, that purity of conscience towards God. That's the thing that saves us. That's what Peter is talking about. So it's not just the act itself. And that's why in Matthew 16, Jesus said, those who believe and be baptized shall be saved, but those who don't believe shall be damned. He don't add the baptism to that. So the thing that brings the damnation is the lack of belief. But baptism is an expression of belief. And through that expression of belief, that expression of faith, we receive salvation. And it's by the resurrection of Christ. Are y'all understanding what I'm saying? So again, dipped in that pool is something that God ordained. It is something that God put forth and has connected with the gospel. I think there's mystery to it that we would never understand on this side of heaven. Because Christ attaches righteousness to it. John said by doing so they were receiving the remission of sins. So there's some deep and there's some mystery to it that we will not understand. But the mystery of it and the power of it is not the power to take away your sins. But in the act it is that expression of hope. That expression of faith in God that gives God the power or the right to step in and, and save you. Are y'all understanding what I'm saying? So if your only hope is I got dipped, you have no hope. But in your dipping, you are placing your faith in Christ, you shall be saved. Y'all understand? So it's an expression of righteousness. It's, it's, it's something that has the power to draw us closer to God, but not in and of itself in that 
answering of that good conscience and that quest towards God that we have deep down inside of our soul when we participate in baptism. That's the thing that saves us. And now we're going to look at the figure of it in, in, in a part of the mystery a little bit because Peter here refers to it as the light figure. And what he means is in, in similar form, it's a type. So the thing that Noah went to was a type of the thing that we went through. Now, simple question, but it's, it's deep. How did water save Noah? Because <laughs> he says it's a light figure unto. So just like water saved Noah, water saves us. And you have to ask the question for in order for me to understand this picture. How did water save Noah? And the truth is, water technically really didn't save Noah. Water carried Noah towards safety, but water itself brought death. And the only way the water carried Noah towards safety was because Noah did what? He believed and put himself in the ark of safety so that when he was plunged into the deep of the water, the water lifted him because he was carried. So the way that water saved Noah was it carried him through the damnation of the world. So the picture of the water itself is death, is damnation. But we rise from the damnation if we are in the ark of safety. Are you understanding what I'm saying? You get the picture. And that's how we understand what go on when we are baptized. Go to Romans chapter 6. Watch how Paul carried the same picture. Romans chapter 6. We're going to start at verse 1. So what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Know you not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his what? Into his death. Paul picking up on the same picture. That the baptism, the water itself, in this picture, produces life through death. So there's many of us that are baptized into Christ were baptized into his death. Verse 4, therefore we are buried with him in baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in the newness of life. So the going down signifies the death that we participate in in the death of Christ. There's a union in the mind of God that goes on when we participate in baptism. So just like Christ died, when we baptize, we die the same. So God has killed the old you. How did he kill him? He drowned him. When you go down, you are dying. That's the picture. It is a surrender. It's a giving up. It's an abolishing of your old life. So the same way Water brought salvation to Noah. It brings it to us because the water itself was an instrument of death. And it defeats and it destroys all those things that are contrary to our faith and our hope in God. 
We see the same picture. Paul talks about it in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. He said those who came out of Egypt with Moses was baptized. He's like, hold up, when did they get baptized? He said once they walked through the Red Sea, there was a baptism that took place. That's Paul. But you're like, hold up, how in the world did they get baptized? They didn't even get wet. They walked through on dry ground. But the picture is they're going through the water as an expression of faith and hope in God. Once they put their faith in God, God parted the seas and he allowed them to go through the water. But what did the water do? The water brought death to all their enemies. They survived the death that the water brought because they went through it under the ark of safety, which is faith and trust in God. And that's the picture that we get in baptism. So once we're going through the waters out of faith and hope in God, it brings death to all our enemies. It brings death to all those who are contrary to us. It brings death to everything that is not a part of the ark of safety. And we rise from it to the newness of life. That's the picture of baptism. That's the picture of newness. And I like the expression that he used to the newness of life. Because it's an expression of recreation. Because when Christ, I mean, when God judged the world in the days of Noah, he flooded and destroyed the whole thing. But once the waters rescinded, new life arose. He recreated the whole entire earth after demolishing it through a flood. New new life arose. A whole new manner of living came through the waters. So from this death comes life. And that is the picture that we have. Even one of our famous scriptures, if you pay attention to it, is somewhat parallel. Ezekiel chapter 36. Because it says, I shall sprinkle clean water upon you and you shall be clean. And the outgrowth of that clean cleansing is, then shall I give you a new heart. Then shall I put a new spirit on, in you. So newness comes forth from the cleansing. And the cleansing is an act of God that we receive once we trust him. So we go through. Just like Christ was buried, we rise in the newness of life. Are y'all understanding? And that is the picture that we receive when we get baptized. We go to Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3 verse 20 something. It says, for we are all the children of God in verse 26. Galatians three twenty-six. For we are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have did what? Have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither bond nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. This is Paul with the same picture. For we are all Abraham's children through faith in Christ. So our faith puts us in the family of God. And it says, as many of you as has been baptized into Christ have put on to Christ. So it's an act of a symbolic act of not only putting off the death and rising in the newness of life, but we are clothing ourselves in Christ through this act and through this expression of baptism. All of these things are connected and a part of the mystery of baptism. In Colossians, Paul even connect baptism with, with circumcision. And he says that you have not circumcised with hands, but through the putting away of flesh. 
And a part of that putting away of the flesh, he said, and being baptized. So it's a part of our communal act. It's a part of the expression of our entering into a covenant with God. But the power is not in the thing in itself because it's an expression of all it is that God has put forth in us. And it's our response out of hope, out of faith, and out of love and devotion towards God that allows us to be carried. We understand what I'm saying. So who is a candidate for baptism? Those who confess their sins, those who repent, and those who believe the gospel. There's no discrimination beyond that. And if you got baptized without repenting, confessing, believing, you took a bath with your clothes on. You went to a pool party. That's all. You went to a church pool party with a long white bathing suit. That's all it was because baptism only saves out of that response to God, out of that quest and that question and that longing for God. And the mystery and the power of something is something we'll never understand, but it's a part of the gospel of Christ. In Matthew chapter 28, we go to the Great Commission. Jesus demanded his disciples to go and make disciples of all nations. In his description of making disciples of all nations, he told them they need to teach and they need to baptize. Now let's think about this for a second. Jesus gave a great commission to go into all the world to make disciples. So our going is not to make church members in the sense of people who come to DNA Our going is to not make people feel good. Our going is to make disciples, to make people who are going to learn of Christ, to make people who are going to pattern their life after him, to make people who are going to sit up under him and be trained. But a part of that going is teaching what you're teaching, everything that Jesus has taught you, and baptize. And the reason I bring that up is who can baptize? Who has the right to do so? Now, the place that this gets dangerous is, is we'll take Matthew 28 and we will say that it's a commission for who? The church. That that's what we're supposed to be doing as Christians. Y'all supposed to be out there making disciples. Y'all supposed to be teaching all nations. Matthew 16, y'all supposed to be laying hands on the sick. All these things supposed to be done by the disciples. Disciples go and make disciples. And we understand that. But if the commission is to all the church, that means the part of baptism is to who? All the church. You don't have to be a bishop to baptize. And being baptized by a bishop does not validate your baptism. If you understand what I'm saying. Jesus initiated his ministry and he made his flunkies baptize people. They barely knew who Jesus was. This dude was just fishing just the other day. Three and a half years, they still ain't learned. I'm joking, crying, man. <laughs> Say you're dead. Man, dude been telling you for two years he's gonna die. <laughs> Y'all shocked. He rose. What? No, you didn't. 
Man, you been listening to the dude talking about he gonna come back to life for two and a half years. And y'all don't believe it. These are the dudes that were baptizing people. Why were well, they the one baptizing people? Because Jesus told them to. And once the New Testament time come, Philip was not identified as an apostle. This brother got filled with the Holy Ghost, though, and he did what? He went about preaching. Preaching the thing. He's just going back and forth preaching the folk. One way, no, no commission from anybody. He just went to preaching. And he rolled up on a dude and the dude get saved in the ministry. And Philip say, there's a water over there. <laughs> because through his preaching, the dude understand that, hey man, I need to get baptized. What, 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 what we gonna do? That man's a water over there. And Philip took this dude out of the chariot into the water and baptized. Ain't asked nobody. Because he was commissioned. And now he connected that with his ministry. He was doing what Jesus did. Went out, preaching the gospel, calling people to repentance, and baptizing folks. That's deep. That's something to think about. Because this might sound a little blasphemous in church world. Miss Maddie could be at work. And she can preach. And on a lunch break, her co-worker said, I want to be saved. And she said, that's great. And, and, and teach them about Jesus and begin to disciple them. And they can wait till after hours and go in the, in the gym and dip her in their pool. And baptize her in the name of Jesus. Without calling Apostle Jay. And just bring her and say, hey, this right here is my disciple. <laughs> Could you help me help her? I'm saying she can do that because she's been commissioned by who? Not Jay. By Jesus. You understanding what I'm saying? So it's not only a right that we have a right and a duty to participate in, but it's a right that we have a right to administer. As long as we are leading people to Christ, belief in Christ, Repentance from sin and confessing of their sins. You can do that. Saying you can be down there on the river walk, ministering and getting people saved. Now the police might try to come get you. You try to dip them down there. <laughs> but that's all right. You can do that. You have the right. You have the power. Because you have been commissioned by God to do all of the ministry of God. And that ministry includes baptism. Now, baptism generally is something that happened at the house of God. And we all do it together. It's a celebration. That's good. That's cool. That's fine. But I'm just trying to expand your mind that you got power. And you don't have to do that. Only thing we have to do is serve and honor God. And our baptism, us participating in it, is a part of that. And us being willing to administer it is a part of that. But the only people who can get it, those who repent, those who believe, and those who confess their sin. But by doing it, we are participating in the death of Christ and in the resurrection of Christ and in a great mystery of righteousness that God has placed within his kingdom. Anybody got any questions? So, um, in Acts, we had Jesus said, I think it's said, repent and be be baptized. Peter. Okay, Peter. Um, 
Do you need to get baptized every time you repent? Do you need to get baptized every time you repent? I say, believing in baptism, repenting in baptism go together. Now, if you have been convicted and you believe that your baptism was invalid and you needed to do it again, you can go ahead. But I make this statement. There ain't but one baptism. And what I mean by that is, ain't but one unreal. <laughs> so if you get convicted that you need to do it again, that it will faint and your heart won't right, if something was going on, go ahead. That's between you and God. But just understand, ain't but one unreal. Go ahead, ask your question. So if the first one was real, you understood what it was about, and you repented of your sins, and then you were baptized. But you backslid and, you know, went away from God, but then you came back. Do you need to be baptized again? Then you need to talk to God. And he's going to tell you whether or not you need to be baptized again or not. Because the scripture don't go into those details, and I can't go that deep into that. Because all of it tells us is that one faith, one Lord, one baptism. That we all got the same one and it's a baptism unto repentance. And if you're one unto repentance, that means it will fake. You do the real one until you do the real one. <laughs> but, but how many times? It's only one that's necessary. There's only one that's a part of an expression of remission of sin. So you wrestle with God on how many times you got to do that till you, you feel like you did it. And another question I have is um, kind of off the subject a little bit, but it's one of the scriptures you brought up, Galatians chapter 3, mm-hmm. and um, verse 27 through 29. The 28 says, There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither bond nor free, there is neither male nor female, for ye are all one in Christ Jesus. And so my question is, does that mean those things are um, don't matter at all anymore? Like your ethnicity... Whether or not you are uh, free or a slave to some extent, whether you are male or female, all that is completely done away with and it doesn't matter. Or does that just refer to um, verse 29 that says, um, you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. That just means that no matter whether you are, because like I guess back in the day, it depends on whether, you know, what ethnicity you were and whether you were male or female and all these other different things and whether or not you would get the promise. So does, does it just refer to meaning everybody gets the same promise no matter what those things are? Or does it re- or does it refer to those things don't matter anymore or both? It depends on what you mean when you say those things don't matter anymore. But it's all in connection with, like you said, the promise that we all are children of Abraham. So whether or not you Jew or you Greek, you're still a child of Abraham because culturally at that time, that was a distinction. That I'm a child of Abraham because I was born in Jerusalem. You were born outside of Jerusalem. So you're not. And there's this cultural distinction that we got. And what he's saying, neither one of those distinctions make you a child of Abraham. Because neither one of those distinctions means something. We all are part of it. We got cast of, of very uh, separation of caste and value through male and female in culture. So what he's saying, that don't matter. So anything that culturally that, that, that gives you a leg up, there's no respect to persons with God. So bond or free, male or female, Jew or Greek, it don't matter what thing you put your emphasis on that give you your clout. It, we all a child of God and we all going to receive the promise through faith. 
That's basically what he's saying. So if you mean like it don't matter, like you don't have to, like it don't matter if it's a male or a female, that can get a little strange because it does matter. Because my son need to marry a female. I can like, boy, ain't no male or female. You are Greek. You marry whoever you want. <laughs> no. <laughs> Depends on how far you take, that don't matter. But you understand what I'm saying. You're saying it just refers to you getting a promise. Yeah. So too. That was good. Um, so in terms of how there's this idea that there's some kind of hierarchy, this natural hierarchy between like man, woman, children, does that, the idea of being one in Christ dismantle that? I say yes. And where the perplexity comes in at is that we create identity and worth based on role and practice, if you understand what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. So there's nothing that makes a man greater in worth and value and dignity than a woman. God created the world the way he made it and set it up that way. He brought women from a man, but he brings all men from women. So to show you that, that, that cyclical idea of, uh, of hierarchy, so to speak. But that does not mean there's not a separation in responsibility and role, if, if you understand what I'm saying. So there are certain responsibilities that are God given, but just because you have those responsibilities does not make you greater than any other person, no matter where you are. Just like Donald Trump, he's the president. I work for Kay Ivey. She my boss. But does the fact that she's my boss and I'm a subservient to her means that she's a greater person than me and she has more worth and value on this planet than me? Not even a little bit. But I still must live in subjection to her because of our roles. If you, if you understand yeah. what I'm saying. But subjection does not give value. It does not demean. Roles does not defend, differentiate between value and meaning and purpose but it's just that it's a variation in role if, if that makes sure. applies to you, if you're on the, yeah so nah it, we all the same and then in terms of the baptism so is that initial repentance related to that baptism just like a turning from like deciding um like if you're gonna serve jesus versus like your own nature your yeah, it, I related to her question about like because we're always repenting. I think, you know, like in the like where things get brought up, like oh shoot, you need to. So how is that? <laughs> yeah, but it's the it's the turning and the transforming of a heart. So that real connection is where that repentance is real, and, and you have changed, and your whole heart is diverted towards Jesus and you submit yourself to all of him getting done all that is an expression of that full wholeheartedness towards God and that's all it's all inclusive in that so as long as your heart never strays from him in the sense of you turn from him and you ain't putting your hope and faith in him it's all of an expression in and of that same thing and so this idea of this long, I don't like the, 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 the concept of a lifelong repentance. I just don't see that biblical. But 
if ever I turn from him, is it necessary for me to do it again? The scripture doesn't go into detail on that. So is it possible for me to just turn my heart and just be restored unto my place where I happen to be baptized again? I would say yes. But if I turn my heart and I feel like I need to get dumped again, I would say do it. Because the scripture doesn't clear-cutly defines at what point is your baptism ever invalid, if you understand what I'm saying. So at what point is I go to Jesus, I'm running, I'm living, I'm holy, I'm righteous, and I fall all the way off. It doesn't specify that, okay, for those who walk so long and had so many experiences with God, if they turn again, they ought to be baptized again. It just gives it as a one blanket picture. So if that conviction's in your heart that I need to do it again, go ahead and do it, if you're understanding what I'm saying. But if that conviction's in your heart that eh, there's a little tweaking with God, I can't condemn or nullify that sentiment either, if you're understanding what I'm saying. Go ahead. Because the idea that once you get baptized, like you like real baptism, you repent, like it's the idea that from that point you won't be sinful. I mean, well, you won't commit sins that require you to turn from those. I, I see what you're saying. Like this big turn, but then this constant correction. Yeah. But Jesus makes the picture when he cleansed his disciples from the night before he was going to be crucified. And he washed their feet. You know, everybody know the story that Peter said, man, you ain't going to be washing on my feet. You the master, you don't do that. And Jesus rebuked him. And he said, everybody that with me, I mean, if you're not washed, then you ain't with me. And Peter responds, well, hold up then. I need you to give me a, a full bath. Like, wash my hair and everything. That's Peter's response. But Jesus said those who have been cleansed have already been cleansed. They only need their feet to be washed. And the picture is, is that there's a process of washing that is connected with our salvation. In 1 John, it talks about how the blood of Jesus, Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. And then that gives us a picture of it's a continual thing that go forth. So there's a, a, a manner in which we are constantly being clean as, cleansed as we're in the presence of God. And that initial bath did the whole little thing. And now daily, as we're in his presence, daily, as we allow his blood and his spirit to work within us, he's giving us a wash-up. Yeah, we ain't mustard no more. <laughs> yeah, we ain't grease. <laughs> so once you get all the grease from up there, now, then he just sweep up. <laughs> I had a question about um, the family baptism and how there are certain passages that talk about a person and their entire household being saved. So I was wondering how that plays into, you know, particularly like the story of Cornelius mm-hmm. when um, if it was Peter or Philip who came and preached to his family and everybody got saved and then the whole house was filled with the Holy Spirit and everybody spoke in tongues and all that kind of stuff. How does that play into the scenario of an entire family participating in something like that? Because it doesn't give any indication of the ages. Yeah, and that's uh, that's a part of it. It doesn't say like Cornelius, his wife, and his three children, one with 10, 11, (laughs) and one with 9, it does just say his whole household. So that could include if he had any servants, if mama and them was staying there. 
But the, the picture that it paints is that as Peter preached, their heart was pricked and it said they were filled with the Holy Ghost. And Peter's response was, these people were filled just like we were. So who going to forbid water that they may be baptized? So his response for the baptism was the fact that they were filled with the Spirit. And so he was addressing those who were filled with the Spirit, who praised God and prophesied. It's like, who going to stop them from being baptized because they were filled just like we was filled? So the picture we get from whatever this whole house was is the people who were filled with the Spirit. And that's the thing that made him, uh, compelled him to baptize them, them being filled with the Spirit. Because even this one, it says, repent and be baptized and your whole house shall be saved as many as the Lord shall call. So it's about the calling of the Lord when Peter is preaching right here. In most of those whole house things, there's some confession, there's some belief, there's a response to a message, and it says, and then the whole house. And it never is just, Cornelius went home and his whole house got baptized. It's it, it always a connection with the gospel or a response to the gospel or some type of response that it is connected, if you understand what I'm saying. So from those scriptures, we can't gather that we just supposed to have like every time we get a new child, like we all going to go down to the river. We all going to be baptized because he in my household and my whole house. As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. So we don't see that picture as clear cut through scripture. It's always connected to a response with the gospel. Can you baptize yourself? Now, that's a new one. I never even thought about that before. That would be tough to do. <laughs> and like Holy Spirit connects to them, like, you know, speaks to them supernaturally. They they get this connection and it's just them. Like yeah. in that moment, if they feel so led, there's water down the island. Like, can, can you baptize us? I don't know. I'm not pretty about that. I ain't never heard of that. Because even Paul... Yeah, <laughs> yeah, no president for that. But because even Paul, when and he created this crazy experience where he ended up alone and blind, God sent him to Ananias. Like, hey, you go over there, and somebody gonna tell you what you need to do. Like, God, why you can't tell? I mean, we just handled the whole thing out by myself. He had to sit there and wait on Ananias to come to him and teach him and lay hands on him and baptize him. So, I, I there is no president for that. I have no idea. My question is a little bit different than this. Go ahead. Uh, when Jesus was born, the wise man was going, uh, they took frankincense, gold, and myrrh. Myr. Myr. Okay. And myrrh is supposed to be used to preserve the body. That's yeah, one of the uses of it. So what was the point in them taking that? Uh, the Bible doesn't give us a pure detail description but the picture is painted that this would these were all gifts to recognize who this child was and the person of this child is not that the, the magical or the great moment of his life was not the fact that he was born but what he come to do and so the, the general tradition that's placed on it is that the goal recognized him as king and, and, and the sacrifices and all those type of things. But the Bible doesn't give us detail. It doesn't spell out specifically. Most of it is just conjectures that we can make 
as we go through scriptures and we see the parallels between those things that we can get a little understanding and a little revelation on on it but there's no 100% biblical answer that is something you can meditate and seek God for and he give you picture and meaning from it based off other scriptures but to say emphatically or dogmatically what each one of those things mean would be to go beyond the scope of scripture I can tell you what I think what I feel but it all it'll be and that ain't worth too much of nothing <laughs> do people have to repent yes they have to repent everybody who's born and born a sinner needs to repent is water baptism the only kind of baptism in the, in the bible in the bible period yes no because the word like I said literally just means to dink I mean to dip to immerse to sink so the word is used metaphorically of other things. It's like uh, Jesus talked about his suffering. And he asked his disciples, can you be baptized with the baptism that I'm going to be baptized with? And what he was referring to is the fact that the wrath of God is going to be poured over me. So I'm going to be filled with the wrath and immersion of the wrath of God. Can you handle that? Can you take these type sufferings? But he referred to it as his baptism. Um. John talks about being baptized with the Holy Ghost. And the picture is you being filled, you being immersed, you being covered in the Holy Ghost. So that's a baptism. John talked about Jesus baptizing with fire. And that talks about a day of judgment where he's going to immerse the wicked in flames. But he referred to it as a baptism. The baptism of the wicked is hellfire and damnation. So the picture can be used for multiple things. But when we talk about the Christian rite of baptism, we're talking about with water, out of water, into water, and all those other expressions of water that's connected with the rite. What is the difference between like sprinkling the water and baptism? Uh, the difference is one of tradition. That some time ago, way, way a long time ago, this concept of sprinkling began. We got some early church fathers that make mention to it and they connect it with an inefficiency, I mean, or a lack of insufficiency of water in certain instances. Well, I don't know where to dip you, so some people start sprinkling. And somewhere early it's get connected with pedo-baptism or the baptism of children because people had a hard time usually dipping a whole little baby down in the river somewhere. So they started sprinkling them but biblically, we don't see sprinkling at all. And the only thing that was sprinkled was the blood. But water is immersion. It's pouring, unless you're sprinkling like pouring a whole bucket on your head. <laughs> because that's part of the definition of the term. So, but the tradition of the church tradition of sprinkling, they can't nobody connect back to the Bible. Now, the best we can say it came from some folks who wanted to baptize children and started their own thing, or some folks who didn't have water and started their own thing. In the church, like, people baptized, why is older people? Why is older people the ones being baptized or the ones doing the baptism? Doing the baptism. Because generally, the older people are the ones discipling and the ones taking the care of, of the people. So most churches, you got old folks running the joint. So usually the ones who you are under, the ones who are your spiritual leaders, authority, elder, help brought you into the kingdom are, are the ones who baptize you. If you baptized when you was a kid, 
do you have to baptize again when you grow up? If you baptized when you was a kid and you did it genuinely in faith, out of love and devotion and a response to the call of God, it counts. But if you got baptized when you were a kid because your folks just want you to be a Christian, you didn't do nothing to take a bath and have a beautiful ceremony. It was beautiful. I'm pretty sure it was. Yeah, so most of like our Orthodox churches, most of our Anglican, Catholic churches, even Presbyterian and, and, and Methodist churches, they have christenings where you, you're going to baptize the children. And they have their reasons why they claim to do so, but biblically it's not consistent because faith is the thing that, that puts us into Christ. And when we're baptized, we're baptized into Christ. Go ahead. Is it necessary, baptism is necessary for salvation? Is it necessary for salvation? Baptism in and of itself does not save you, but everybody who's saved and has an opportunity will be baptized. Baptism by in and of itself doesn't save you, but everybody who is saved and has an opportunity will be baptized. They will be. Everybody who is saved and going to heaven, they will be baptized. It's something that they're going to do because it's a part of the response to the gospel. So everybody who really believes is going to do it. But by doing it, that don't make you a part of the people. Just like me going to the family reunion don't put me in the family. But because I'm part of the family, I'm going to go to the family reunion. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you will make that choice. You're going to. I, ain't know, I never met nobody who was saved that didn't. I'm like, man, I, ain't, I don't know nobody that baptized. Go ahead. And just, I forgot what scripture you read today, but it said it's the where it said it's a good conscience and good conscience. That's God, you're gonna be baptized. Yeah, that's First uh, Peter chapter three. You still confused? <laughs> I'll explain to you later. I'll explain later. Any other questions? Could the womb represent baptism? I, I anticipated that question for you like three days ago. <laughs> I was surprised when you asked it before. <laughs> I, was, I was surprised when I didn't get it. But that is a beautiful picture that. When our life begins, we emerge out of water, and that's our life on this planet. I, I don't know. The Bible don't teach it, but it goes along with the picture that God continuously gives throughout all creation, that life emerges from water. Do all people have to be baptized? Everybody that's going to believe. No, I was just making a comment. Of spirit in, in water. Yeah, a lot of people do make that connection because he, he, he leaves it vague. So. You don't mind if you can explain this to me now. I'm getting confused because um, communion uh-huh. and then there's baptism uh-huh. and then there's believing is, you know, in them being saved. Mm-hmm. So can you kind of like prioritize those for us if you don't mind? All right. Um, and just running, and we're going to go through more details in this once we get to talking about salvation, probably beginning next week, what it means to be saved. But the basic rundown is 
The thing that saved you is the grace of God. So we're saved by grace. Faith is not what saves us. But our faith is what allows the grace of God to be activated in our lives. So the primary thing is we believe God demonstrates his grace. Therefore, we are saved. Now, in our believing, under this big umbrella of believing, is confessing your sins, repenting from your sins, calling upon God for salvation and to have mercy upon you. All of these things are response, are faith responses. And also in that faith response is baptism. So that's a faith response. Jesus tells us you baptize for the remission of your sins. So we believe that. So we go through that act believing that he's going to cleanse us of our sins and cleanse our consciousness towards God. So the, all of those things are under the umbrella of faith. You understand what I'm saying? So if you take any of them away from faith, they're meaningless. But as expressions of faith is where they get their meaning. So when you're confessing your sins, if you're doing it out of faith and hope for the mercy of God, that's what makes it real. When you're repenting, that repentance is putting your faith in God. When you're being baptized, you're doing it out of response and a faith and a hope in God. When you're calling on God, when you're praying to him, all of those are expressions of faith. And that brings the grace of God, which produces salvation and righteousness. And a part of that grace is God filling you with his Holy Spirit. That's an expression of God's grace. So being born again comes from having faith, which comes from God. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah, so the main thing is faith. And all of these are expressions of faith. And even as we take communion, we're going to get into that. That shows our acceptance of Christ and us being a part of the family of God. It's a part of us being a part of his household. So we all come together to celebrate the death of Christ, to celebrate his sacrifice on our behalf. And it's because we believe that and we believe in his hope and we believe in the power of his death and in the soon return of his king. That's why we participate in communion. You understand what I'm saying? So none of those things have any meaning or value apart from our express of being expressions of our faith in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Um, say if um you died in the womb, right, and you didn't do anything required to go to heaven, will you go to heaven? Everybody is saved by the mercy of God. And if you die in the faith, it's the mercy of God that will bring you before him. Because people are damned because of their own sins. We're doomed because of the sin we inherit, but we're damned because of our own sins, if that makes sense to you. It's like, it's because uh, like if, if food was on the top shelf, the very high shelf in the house, and everybody in your family was short, there's a good chance that if that's all the food in the house, you're going to starve. Now, you're going to starve because you didn't eat. But the reason you didn't eat because you weren't tall enough to reach up on the top shelf. And it comes to God. We inherit got sin in our nature. And that puts us on a path that's going to guarantee we're going to do the thing that's going to cause us to die. But the thing that causes us to die is our own expression of that. So when we sin ourselves, that's what sent us to hell. So if you're born or all these aborted babies, they have not committed any sin for God to punish them for. They have not expressed any of that of that evil that was dwelling in their being. So it's through the mercy of God that they shall be delivered. Because sin is what damns you. So the only people that are going to go to hell is people that rebel against God and do sin. 
There will be nobody condemned that can say, man, I never did anything wrong and I never disobeyed God. Everybody who dies in their sins is because of their own expressions of that sin. That makes sense a little bit. Yeah, so all these millions of aborted babies, this genocide that we're living in, there's hope and mercy for them in the eyes of God. Is Satan sin? Is Satan sin? Is he sin? Yeah, in the sense that Satan's adversary and he's anti-God. So, yeah, he's the expression of sin. All sin is a reflection of his nature as being rebellious and anti-God. So does God hate Satan? Does God hate Satan? Yes, if you understand hate correctly. Hate in the sense of, yes, he will punish him. He will show forth his wrath upon him and express all the judgment that God has against sin will be poured out on Satan because God hates evil and an expression of his hatred is not just God sitting there mad and feel bad on the inside. That's not biblical hate. That's American hate. Hate is an expression of an action that causes you to react or respond towards a person in a certain way. So God going to pour out his wrath all the wrath of God because God won't punish all evil if that makes sense to you. But God just ain't sitting up and saying, no, I don't like him. <laughs> oh God, because I don't like him. <laughs> Anybody else? They all yours.